You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Monday, June 8th, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington in New York, joined shortly by Ed Harrison from Washington, D.C. But first, here's Jack Farley with the stories driving markets. Thanks, Ash. U.S. equities continue to march upwards in a descent that won't seem to end. The S&P 500 is now within 1% of where it began the year in January. And shockingly, every single stock in the index is up since the lows on March 23rd. Every single one. But stocks aren't the only way investors are betting on a V-shaped recovery. Morgan Stanley announced in a note on Friday its wager on a significant steepening of the U.S. yield curve. The report cited a correlation between the dot plot and the 30-year one-month spread, noting that yields tend to compress as the target rate goes lower. So it's essentially an anti-TLT trade. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Speaking of bonds, spread between German bunds and the sovereign bonds of Italy, Spain, and Greece have narrowed significantly in light of the European Central Bank's announcement of sustained stimulus. But while the ECB's generous bailout package has tempered the bond markets of Southern Europe, it's provoked fears in the North of inflation and moral hazard. Several prominent German economists have come out denouncing the ECB package, arguing that ECB President Christine Lagarde is taking on a huge risk by doubling down on stimulus, while the money supply is at the highest point it's been since the launch of the euro. Deutsche Bank former chief economist Thomas Meyer argued that Europe is headed for a constitutional crisis because the ECB, quote, has no legal or democratic mandate for what it's doing. And Meyer is by no means the only critic. There's also Otmar Issing, former ECB chief economist who added his critique, as well as Professor Richard Werner. Added to these worries about inflation are concerns about moral hazard. A disproportionate amount of the stimulus would be allocated to Spain and Italy, which are heavily indebted nations within the Eurozone. So there's a worry that this bailout package would incentivize fiscal prodigality. So the Hawks have their talons out, but the Doves definitely have some arguments in their arsenal, with CPI in the Eurozone just at 0.1%, having declined for four straight months, and forecasted growth within the Eurozone seemingly apocalyptic, with the Bank of Spain having forecasted GDP for Q2 to contract a stunning 21.8%. And even in Germany, output slumped 17.9% for April. So it'll be interesting to see whether these tensions resolve or exacerbate going forward. And with that, let's go back to Ash and Ed. Ed Harrison, back from vacation and in your rightful seat on a Monday afternoon. Welcome back, Ed. Feeling refreshed, Ash. Thank you. (laughs) Must be nice. Yeah, it's good. It was good to have a few days off, for sure. Yeah. So, Ed, lots happening, as always, as has been the case for months. What are you looking at today? Yeah, I am looking at, actually, you know, I was looking at some of the things that we were talking about uh, a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I was looking at a Real Vision daily briefing that we did in late April. I I, I don't know if people remember that, but it was one where I talked about uh, the reopening being really bullish, And I was talking about Europe in particular, not the U.S., because we didn't know that the U.S. was going to reopen. And I was saying that over the short term, 
that the reopening is bullish and it would be bullish. And the way that I remember it, and I was looking through the comments, it definitely wasn't well received, uh, the comment that the reopening would actually be uh, bullish on a short-term basis. But I think that that's actually been the case, that the reopening has been bullish on a short-term basis. And I think we should look back to that to get an understanding of you know what I was saying in terms of positive data points and what that means now that we've had this reopening and we've had this bullish data. Yeah, you know, with that, Ed, before we jump into it, let's take a look at, uh, at what, what's happened here, market close. So S&P up to uh, 3232, up 1.2% today. And the NASDAQ uh, at 99.24, heading close to the 10,000 mark, uh, up 1.13% on the day. Russell 2000 on a percentage basis, uh, the largest mover, 1535 level close, up 1.86% today. Obviously, positive sentiment. Yes. And, it, you know, for me, what, the reason that I'm thinking about it is because I wrote a post in Credit Write Downs, which is exactly the opposite of the post that I wrote at that particular time, which is the genesis of why we're, we're, I was talking about the April 27th Real Vision Daily Briefing. And what I was saying is, is, is that, OK, April 27th is, was not as bearish in terms of the tone as March the 22nd, which is the, you know, the day before the Fed intervened into the markets. But it was relatively bearish in terms of market sentiment. And what I was saying is, is, is that actually now we're going to have a transition to market sentiment going forward because the reopening is going to be uh, positive for sentiment. And, and that's what we've seen. But for me, the sentiment has gone to the point where it's definitely over the top. I think that we've seen a lot of both in terms of oil price as well as equity price, a reflation trade that Morgan Stanley, to me, in terms of their fixed income trade, really uh, nails in terms of why I think uh, it's gone over the top. Let me see if I can find what the Morgan Stanley said. They said, in the blink of an eye, uh, there seems it seems that seems just about how quickly the economic narrative has tilted in favor of a V-shaped recovery versus a slow and prolonged one. And then they're saying that, and they showed a chart. I think Jack talked to this about the yield curve steepening, even though literally four or five days ago I was saying that the yield curve is the steepest it's been since 2017 between fives and thirties. So they're saying the yield curve has steepened already, and it's going to steepen even more. Why? Because we're going to have a V-shaped recovery. So that's not necessarily bullish in terms of, you know, all out and out bullish in the same way that March 23rd, March 22nd was bearish. But it's pretty darn bullish about where we are. It's sort of a, an extrapolation of the present situation forward in a way that I find so aggressive that, you know, I think that we have to start to think about the reopening trade and when that's going to start to fade. I've, I've said in the past that I'm thinking, you know, the moment is uh, Q3, but it could happen any time now between uh, now and, and that time period. Yeah. And, and just to review, you know, today where we are, 10-year uh, Treasury yield up again um, fractionally to uh, about 87.5 basis points, 0.874 percent. Uh, and uh, 10 10 uh, tens minus twos, we're at uh, we're at about um, well zero zero point six five right now. Right. So my view basically is this: is is that uh, 
you know, the equity markets, they can trade in the short term on sentiment, especially when economic indicators are moving in one direction or another. I think that a lot of people have thought Real Vision, they've been very bearish along the way. If you look back, actually, we were saying, I certainly was saying April 27th, that it's going to be positive in terms of the reopening. And that's going to be good over the short term. The real question is over the long term and what that means for equity markets. And I think it's interesting. I think there are a number of different indicators. Uh, I, for one, talk about the fundamentals. I think about the fundamentals and the fundamentals coming to the fore at a minimum by September, October timeframe. But I talked today to Michael Howe, who I'm going to have a conversation with tomorrow about liquidity. And he talks about liquidity being a huge factor driving equities and equities being, you know, 80 percent sentiment, 20 percent uh, macro. And if you want to play the macro, then it's 80 percent macro and 20 percent sentiment in the bond market. And that's where you want to play uh, the macro side. So to the degree that you are awash in liquidity and you're going to continue to be awash in liquidity, Michael Howe, he's going to tell me tomorrow when I talk to him that it's, it's all about the equities going up. Uh, I, I tend to believe that equities will reach towards the fundamentals over a medium to longer term period of time. You know, Ed, this is a point that's just so crucial when people are thinking about this and when they're trying to figure out their framework, the notion of time horizons and that one can be simultaneously um, you know, bullish in the short term for technical factors because of liquidity or positioning and be secularly bearish because of long term fundamental trends that are either cyclical or structural is such an important point. Could you talk a little bit more about your thesis and how it relates on multiple time horizons to understand what's happening in markets right now? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was talking about this uh, in late April, I was thinking about Europe and Europe outperforming, particularly northern Europe. And I talked about New Zealand as well, uh, because they were going to be leaving the lockdown. They could leave the lockdown. There wasn't going to be very high R numbers. And to me, that looked like outperformance relative to the United States. And of course, when you look at it over the short term from a sentiment in, uh, perspective, when you're moving out of that lockdown earlier and the numbers are moving higher, that's going to positively affect the sentiment. So that's positive. Uh, the, the United States actually ended up moving out much quicker than people expected. And so that also was positive and continues to be positive as well, irrespective of what you might think about COVID-19. It could be that right now we have super spreader events that are happening. That That's irrelevant because that's, that's something that's down the line. What people are looking at, they're looking at the data as the data come out now, and then they're thinking about that in the context of their overall story. And to yeah. a degree, they will extrapolate that forward. But then over the longer period of time, uh, you have to look at some of the structural factors that are at play and whether or not those factors will continue to, uh, to be relevant. And for me, a lot of that has to do with private debt. It has to do with consumption patterns. It has to do with stimulus and the mix of that over the longer term on earnings and earnings growth. Yeah, all interesting points. You know, what this reminds me of, actually, and it's just because it's fresh in my mind, Real Vision subscribers will know uh, that uh, we released an interview this morning with Jared Minak uh, and Ralph Powell. 
And uh, if, if you haven't heard of Jared Minak, he's a really uh, fantastic analyst, especially about on U.S. equities uh, and developed market equities more generally. He ran uh, developed market strategy over at Morgan Stanley. I think uh, Jared would have been on TV all the time in the United States if he wasn't based uh, in uh, in Australia with a 12-hour time difference, which makes it really hard to interview people on live shows. But you know, he unpacks his thesis, uh, what he's looking at for developed market equities, and it's it's a very sophisticated take. And he makes precisely this point. What Jared said was that. That he sees what he calls huge swaths of risk. He talks about things, some of the things that we've talked about, a second round uh, of effects from the virus, slowing recovery, rising geopolitical tension, and November election risk here in the U.S. And then he says, quote, are the markets taking much account of these things? No. That's the problem we've got. So he's, he's saying that he sees uh, this situation where he's potentially bullish uh, in the short term for momentum factors or technical factors. Uh, but Obviously, he sees the real concerns about what's happening uh, in the broader picture, strategically, structurally, cyclically. Uh, and he says, look, you know, this is, uh, this is absolutely unprecedented. He talks about the terminal point of the recovery, which is something that you and I have talked about, something we've talked about with Raul and uh, certainly with a great deal with Roger. And he basically says this is a, a long-term disinflationary trend. You have businesses that are working with operational leverage. So even if we're able to get back to 90% capacity, which from what we're hearing in New York is incredibly optimistic if you're talking about 50% seating in restaurants, he sees a two-year hole. Uh, effectively uh, in earnings and and, and uh, accelerating deflationary pressures. And he assumes that in a way that, you know, he's basically saying we're all assuming that this is the best case and then rising fiscal debt burdens on the structural side. And he, he ended this this section of the interview by saying, and this is worth quoting, he says, quote, it's hugely dependent on your time horizon as an investor. And this is exactly what you were just talking to, Ed, in your own thesis and the way that you look at markets. Yeah, and you know, I would add in two other uh, commentators that we're going to see on Real Vision. One I've actually already spoken to, the other, Michael Howe, who I mentioned before, I'm going to speak to. Uh, Michael Howe, he told me in the conversation that we had pre-interview that if you look at growth stocks, growth stocks actually discount only 6% of their total earnings in years one and two. Mm -hmm. So right there, if you say to yourself, I'm going to write off 2020, I'm going to write off 2021, bang, you can say that I'm looking through all this data that just write it off. I'm only, I'm only down 6% on my growth stocks. Value stocks, it's 15% uh, for years one and two as a result of that. So what that means is, is, is that if the market's down 6% for growth stocks, relative to where it was before, that's basically discounting all of the earnings for 2020, 2021 from Michael Howell's point of view. And that is, uh, that's doable. And the market could continue, especially to the degree that there's liquidity being pumped into the market, move higher on that thesis. A different take, I spoke to Darius Dale, he'll come on on Thursday. Mm -hmm. he, what he said is, is that if you look at credit card and auto loan forbearance, that's ending in June. If you looked at enhanced unemployment insurance, that's ending in July. And then if you look at mortgage of forbearance, you know, Fannie and Freddie, that's a six-month time horizon. So it's going to end somewhere at the end of Q3, beginning of Q4. All of that, and you combine the fact that, you know, the likes of Mitch McConnell are basically saying no more deficits. You have a big uh, fiscal cliff, so to speak, coming in Q3 that's going to be net negative from a sentiment perspective because your your comparisons are going to be very poor 
on a year-over-year -year and a quarter-over-quarter -quarter basis. That could potentially drive sentiment that uh, causes the, the market to sell off in Q3. And I think that's a very interesting thesis. Yeah. So those are two conflicting, very conflicting opinions, but it gives you a sense of, you know, the wide range of both time frames and uh, opportunities that you have uh, to, to make money in the market. You could be on one side or the other and, uh, you know, performance will be very different. Yeah. Darius Dell, of course, from Hedgeye, looking forward to seeing that interview with you, Ed. Yeah, I think that he explains uh, the Hedgeye quad model very well. I, I really enjoyed the conversation I had with them. Uh, I think it'll, it'll be a good conversation. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the Hedgeye uh, quadrant model, it effectively pairs up growth uh, and inflation deflation into four different quadrants and explains what's happening in the macro economy in, a, I think, a, a very high level and elegant way. Yeah, so the question now, I think now that we know that the uh, the, the riots are, are largely over, uh, that we're reopening, uh, and that, uh, you know, we probably are not going to go uh, closed again, is how much damage was done and how slow will the trajectory be? And based upon that, how much have equities discounted that already? And how much will they continue to discount that? There are a lot of different ways to think about that. And, you know, I tend to see Gerard Menak's point, which is, is that a lot of the risks are to the downside based upon what markets are discounting now over the medium to long term. Uh, but over the short term, I think that there's still a lot of liquidity in the market. There's still some scope for positive uh, surprises on an economic data front. But all of that is going to start to dissipate the further and further we get into the summer, into July, August, September timeframe. That's where the fragility will, will present itself. Yeah, you've been saying uh, for several weeks that the place we're going to see this shake out is in the fall. That's right, exactly. So uh, I look at, as I, you know, April 27th, uh, that was where I said, okay, great, reopening. I'm looking at September, October as now we have enough data, and I believe that data will show that it, there's a material slowing uh, and that we're going to have a sell-off at that particular juncture. Yeah. You know, we're at the 86.6% retracement level on the S&P, above the 78.6% retracement level that we were watching, uh, and now at 95.3% of all-time highs. And Ash, where did the NASDAQ close today? NASDAQ closed at 9,924, up 1%, 1.13% uh, to be precise, on the day, crossed an all-time high. So, you know, off to the races. I, the only thing I could say is, is it will be interesting to see how markets react to the NASDAQ now at an all-time high. Is that a bullish uh, indicator, or is that an indicator that, you know, it's time to start fading this particular rally and uh, take some profits and uh, look for more indications that the market could move higher. Yes, we shall see. So uh, my overall message is, is is that we going forward, you know, in terms of who we have on our platform, we really do need to have a mix of, of different views. I think we have that uh, in terms of people like Michael Howe, who's coming on board, I think it would be good in terms of the Real Vision Daily Briefing to have some bullish uh, views 
presented as well as some bearish views, uh, both over the short and the longer term. I was talking to a gentleman by the name of Jay Pulaski, who's been on our platform before. I think he could actually be someone who could talk about a bullish longer-term view, which we don't really hear as much on Real Vision. Uh, and he'd be a great guest to have, at, you know, in terms of you're talking to him uh, later on this week, Ash. Yeah, Jay's terrific. I interviewed, I, I edited one of his pieces, rather, I should say, uh, in, uh, I think, 2019. He's always compelling and a big-picture thinker. So hopefully we can get that sorted and uh, look forward to hearing what people say when they, when they get a, a much more robust, uh, longer-term bullish view on the market. Yes, indeed. Thanks again, Ed, and welcome back. Thanks, Ash. Good to talk to you again. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.